This episode is sponsored by O2-1 Designs. Every shirt I wear has a message. And that is what O2-1 Designs specializes in, telling stories. Their latest design is themed Niger Power and indicates that the power to change Nigeria is in the hands of everyone. Another design from them that I really like is the African Native Shirt. So please check out the links in the description below and follow them on Instagram. You can also order from their Instagram page. Okay, so welcome to another episode of the Average African Kid Podcast. Um, it's your host, Toya Resonara, and I'm coming to you live with a very interesting episode. So we have a guest on our hands today. So today we have Eugene. He is a Christian brother, originally from Accra, Ghana. He moved to the United States in 2012 to pursue his bachelor's degree. He obtained his bachelor's degree in 2016 in mechanical engineering from the University of Evansville gained some industrial experience, and is now back in school at the University of Texas at San Antonio, UTSA, where he's pursuing his PhD, also in mechanical engineering. While not studying or working on school stuff, Eugene likes to talk about and philosophize over God's word, travel, and drive cars. So I'd like to welcome today Eugene Hoffman to the podcast. <laughs> Generous How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing really well. Thank you for accepting the invitation for this. No problem. No problem. It's, it's, it's my pleasure. Yes. So I guess we start basically from the beginning. So, so tell us your story. How? To just tell us from a point where you want to tell us. Okay. So uh, as Toyo uh, stated, I'm from Accra, Ghana. Um, um, I'm from a small. Um, Nuclear family, um, mom, dad, and an older brother. Um, I basically did most of my schooling in Accra, Ghana. Um, went to Samantha Forest in uh, Suman in Accra, um, from kindergarten, and then went to um, Ghana Christian International High School. Um, mm. I was, I, I unfortunately lost my dad when I was 10. And mm. ever since then, I was raised by my mom um, throughout, and we are, that made us closer and brought us tighter. Um, but once I was done with high school, it was time to move on. And I wanted to do a lot of engineering. And I was like, I need to go to the best place in the world to do this. And at the point in time, America was the best place. It's still one of the best places to do that. So um, we prayed about it. We asked God for direction. And I was able to come here and do my bachelor's degree. And this has been great ever since. Just getting to learn a lot, getting to do a lot of experience stuff. And this experience has been great. So. Yeah, that's a little bit about me. Okay. Oh, wow, that's cool. So how did you make that transition from Ghana to America? So it, it was a little bit of a, an interesting transition. Even though, like, as a kid, I used to come to the U.S., um, to America for, like, a couple of vacations here and there. But it's it's totally different to live in a country that is not your home as compared mm -hmm. to visiting. Um Coming from Ghana and like or from Africa, you know that like when you're when you're a kid or when when you're part of a family and you're in hard times, you can just like go home and just relax with the family, and they can like basically revive you mentally, physically, financially, and help you out like that. But then 
yeah. transitioning here into the U.S., where everyone is taught to be self-dependent and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it, it was very difficult. Just trying to just change that mindset. A, a lot of a lot of the transition was just mindset wise. Like just the way we do stuff back home versus the way stuff is done here is just totally different. So it was just mm-hmm. a huge mental challenge and just a mental change. But I guess having a lot of American friends who were pretty cool people helped me make that transition and didn't make it as difficult as it needed to be. Oh, wow. So you mentioned something very key. You said that the way we do things in Africa is very different from the way they do things in America. So just give us some examples of those things. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm smiling here because I can already say. <laughs> oh, man. Those, those, the very, I like to, I'll give you examples in, in terms of stories. So when okay. I came to America, the very first thing I was like, Man, there's so my my brother picked me up from the airport and he started telling me, "Hey, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that." And I was like, "Wow, this country has too many laws, too many <laughs> rules. They're just a rule for everything. Even like sitting down and wearing seatbelts in a car. I was like, why do we have to wear seatbelts? I mean, Ghana, no one really wears seatbelt. I mean, it's there, like you can use it, but do you really need to wear a seatbelt? Probably not. Like ninety nine percent of the population doesn't." And here they say, if you don't wear a seatbelt, the police is going to stop you and give you a ticket. I was like, hey, how can you do that? That is just not. <laughs> so just little stuff like that. Um, I'm just trying to understand. Um, and Africans are just like curious people. We're always looking at yeah. like people trying to find out what is going on with our neighbors. And here you have to kind of mind your own business. Like even if you're in traffic and someone is doing his stuff in his car, you just... Have to just sit down, look forward. Just look forward and just continue going on your way, man. You cannot, <laughs> you cannot be yeah. nosing around into someone else's uh-huh. business. So it is just, it's just pretty interesting. And the, and the last major one was just like, um, just like, just the very first time, like coming to America, like you, you truly understand, like what, like. Um, the different races are. I mean, back home, everyone is like black. Like it, it, it is, it is. Yeah. It's not a huge deal. But coming mm-hmm. to America, just learning that hey, like you are actually like black, and like there's a connotation to that. Also, yeah. a little bit of an eye opener, and just trying yeah. to realize what that means, and just how to navigate those waters was just one of the last major transitions I had to make. But yeah. yeah. It's a sobering transition when you start thinking about, in terms of race and how that puts you in society. It's I, I actually, tell you, I tell you, yeah. I tell you. Mm. But we can we can't yeah. for everything. I mean, compared to like friends that I have in like other European countries and stuff like in some Asian countries, I'm like, mm. it's it's still a blessing to be here in the U.S. Things are yeah, things can get a little bit worse. Y- yeah, and uh, and for myself, I. I always struggled with this transition because I kept telling myself and eventually I started voicing out to my friends. I was like, in Nigeria, I was never in a minority group. Like, I am not a minority group. (laughs) I tell you, I tell you, like, I I keep telling friends, like, what we call people, what we call people who are, like, our definition for black people in Ghana are, like, totally different from what you guys call black in Ghana. Yeah. Like, I was, the very first time I realized I was black was when I was, like, sitting down with friends eating in the cafeteria. And one of my friends from Sri Lanka pointed and was like, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not black. That boy is black. And I literally turned back to see You're like, whether what? he was talking, he was talking to someone different. Then I realized that he was talking about me. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but then it just dawned on me, like, yeah, you're actually considered black in this country. I was like, wow, that is, yeah. it's fine. 
it's fine. It's, it's all yeah. I just need to change the mindset. Mm. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, sad, very, very shocking reality. But initially, what I thought of when I thought of black people in America, don't shoot the messenger here. But in my mind, I was always thinking about someone like Chris Rock, thin <laughs> boy. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, yeah, but in reality, like it's it's way more diverse than that. Everybody is so different. Everyone is so like it's. I don't I don't know how to describe it. Like everybody has their different places, and that Chris Rock um stereotype was very untrue. Oh very man, untrue. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know. America is a great place. It's a unique place. I think. Yeah, stereotypes. We, we, stereotypes just need to be broken. Right now, I seem to hold too much to stereotypes, and uh, stereotypes just need to be broken. We just need to give people opportunities to be who they are and who God made them to be, and yeah, not hold on to stereotypes. Yeah. yeah, and I can see that there is so much we have in common. Like having some of my friends, we just talk about different things. I'm like, wow, like the world makes us feel like, oh, we're such, so different. But in reality, there's so much commonality between cultures and people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, 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 there's a lot that binds us and keeps us together than tears us apart. It's just sad yeah. that sometimes we have to focus on the, the differences yeah. rather than the similarities. But then I'm sure if we look, we'll be able to find a whole lot of more similarities than differences. Yes. And especially in areas of religion, like, in the in the Christian race, like what has been your exper- experience, your exposure in the United States compared with back home? How has that changed? So, um, exposure like with with Christian people, or like what's with religion in general and people. Well, I, I think we're going to broader. Yes, religion in general and people, and specifically. So, anywhere okay. you want to take it. So, so I'll start. I'll start from just like people in general and the the. the the concept of religion and God. So in the U.S., what I found is that um, there's a sharp contrast. Like people either believe in God or they do not believe in God. Hmm. That is like you have a lot of people that are open about not believing in God for whatever reasons they think. Back home, um, hardly we find someone that doesn't believe in a God. They know yeah. that there is a God out there, and the issue comes down to which God are you talking about? Um, yeah. Because there's a lot like our cultures back home are steeped in um, spirituality and a lot of things that um, have to tend to do with stuff like that. But here in the U.S., um, when I came, a lot of things linked more towards like scientific knowledge and proof and stuff that can be tested and verified by the five senses we have. And if it can't mm. be tested and verified by the five senses we have, it is it is it is not right or it doesn't stand. So yeah. so that that's the main like general approach I've seen towards like um uh, God and in, in the US versus um back home. Um mm-hmm. religion here in the US is is very strong. Like we have people that are highly religious, um just like they they, they, they claim they hold on strictly to the religion they believe in and mm-hmm. um like they like even like I'm I I view Christianity more like faith than a religion. Like it, it's, yeah. it's 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 deeper than a religion. But some yeah. people here see Christianity more as a religion than something deeper than that. And that is why I say like 
there are a lot of religious people here that do the acts and check the boxes, uh, but do not necessarily uh, delve deep and uh, into what Christianity is. But that that's a, like that's similar to people back home. But I feel like that is more here than people back home. Although people yeah. here, I've met some great people that like are really deep into the faith and really believe in Jesus Christ. They're not they're not political Christians, but they're like true Christians who believe that like, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for us. And if you confess your sins and believe in Him, like you'll be saved. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 very interesting. But the majority of people. I've met and I'm meeting nowadays really do not really do not either believe in Jesus Christ or Christians or are just like from various other religions. So yeah. Mm. So how has your your surroundings, your environment, how has that affected your walk with God? So what's where where are you at right now? So I, I used to live in Indiana and now I'm in Texas and yeah. I guess by the state, it has changed because in Indiana, I had a bunch of like Christian friends um, around me, and I was in a, active in a lot of Christian groups. So um, it really strengthened my walk when I was in Indiana. But however, uh, now I'm in um, San Antonio, Texas. I guess it's strengthening it in a totally different way. As now you have to like truly understand why you're Christian because everyone around you is not, and they mm-hmm. want to ask you why you're following, why you're following, and just you have to kind of and it's like be able to share why you're a Christian with them. Um, majority of my friends now in San Antonio are not Christians. Um, they either do not believe in God um, or they're like Muslims or um, Buddhists. And so it's it's interesting to have interactions with them and gen- just talk yeah. to them about just religion in general and what they believe in religion is. And so... Um, for personally, it does it, it helps you to grow in one aspect, but not in like like there, there are two aspects of growing in your faith. I believe um, one is with like with regards to being comfortable in who you are, like comfortable comfortable in being a Christian and being confident to proclaim who you are as a Christian. You have to grow in that way to be able to talk to people about God. But then there's also the aspect where you have to get deeper into His Word and know more about His Word, where you need Christian friends to help you develop in that aspect. Then. I think sadly that part is a little lacking because um just because of the caliber of friends I have now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Iron sharpeneth iron. Yeah, it yep. does. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yes. So we, earlier on we had mentioned the the diversity like how how the culture there people are more connected than than we we think though we are connected. So I gotta I gotta bring this back to the age old debate, like the debate that exists. So we're going to uh, yeah we're going to talk about it the the Nigerian versus Ghanaian Jollof. Oh, um, <laughs> that 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 has been settled. Everyone knows the scores about this. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, there are a lot of famous people that have weighed into this um, program and have given us. Uh, yeah, astute observation that Ghanaian Jollof is the best. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we all know. Yeah, no. 
I just wonder yeah. where did this start? Like, where? How did this debate begin in the first place? It's just a hot rivalry between two sibling nations that really like each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that cannot. <laughs> I tell you, yeah, yeah. Everywhere yeah. I go, everywhere I see a Nigerian, that's the very first thing they ask me about. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we we really need to do this. Like set up like Gordon Ramsay in in a place blind test, like three samples from each from each country, a blind double blind test where he just tastes all all the the rice and then he he ranks them in like mm-hmm. order and then we now tally the score. That needs to be done somewhere like for historic purposes. Nigerian jollof rice. Which one is the king? Which one? jollof rice is key though. <laughs> I mean, no, but you're biased. You, you grew up with Ghanaian jello. And I'm biased because I do up with Nigerian jello. <laughs> I'm sure you say Nigerian jello rice is the best. Exactly. Ah. And not just Nigerian jello. My mom's jello is the best. <laughs> that, is, that is serious bias. <laughs> very serious. Very serious. And it it really strikes me because I, I feel that, like, when we talk about African food, West African food, like mm-hmm. I've met so many different countries, like people from the Ivory Coast, Cameroon, mm-hmm. go all the way to Liberia, and it shocks me that not just West African. Now I'm talking about most African, some people from mm-hmm. Sudan, but let's just start West African. Like the food is so similar, and mm-hmm. I scratch my head. I'm like, wait, so how come we don't really know about this? Like. Honestly, like if you talk about Cameroonian food and Nigerian food, they're almost exactly the same. It's like wow, like, and then you go to Ghanaian okay. food too. This is the time for me to confess is that like I think when I was back home, never uh-huh. even tried to go anywhere outside uh-huh. like Ghana. Like yeah, likewise. Africans are not tourists. <laughs> like we don't tour Africa. Uh, we don't tour Africa. <laughs> Stay in your when country. We, when we get up, we go to uh, the Europe or somewhere different. We don't tour Africa at all. Like at all and like yeah. like here where you have like so many different restaurants like mexican restaurants like european restaurants mm. like italian or something like that africa you just have like uh, the fried rice place or the um, <laughs> the chop bar that they give you like or something we don't have like i mean every now and then you have maybe like a thai restaurant back home but it, it's, it's yeah you won't have like an a cameroonian restaurant or like a nigerian restaurant mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. only only find like ethiopian or jamaican those like yes, those the ones the, you really find mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we we are, we are not daring people when it comes to our continent yeah yeah and i find like it's so crazy like when you talk about things like couscous um oh yeah like yeah, and um, what what is this thing? Fufu. People call fufu different things. Like fufu here is um, white mm-hmm. in Nigeria. It's but in places like Rwanda, um, fufu. I have a friend there, and he fufu is anything that's mold. So they call eba fufu. They call uh, anything else fufu. So I'm and like, that fufu, yeah. fufu word is, it translates to like almost everyone has a version of fufu. And... Everyone has a version of fufu. <laughs> Yeah, it's come down to the look rather than the uh, the actual uh, context. Ma- um, yes, the mater- the ingredients. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, as long as it looks like a white-ish, off-white, true mold. white mold, yeah, they call it fufu. So yes, yes. Uh, so when someone says, "Do you eat fufu?" I'm like, "So what is inside it?" <laughs> <laughs> what are we there. talking about here? <laughs> yeah, we have, yes. we, have, we have to find out. 
to find out. And Even like some of the South Americans coming to live like in Texas now and get into you know like Mexican South American cuisine, like they have stuff that's yeah. pretty similar to what we have. Yeah, and honestly, like good. Mexican food is really, really close to African food. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, apart from the tortillas, but everything else, like the the flavoring, yes. the spicing, it's yes. very similar. And I was nicely surprised. So I was like, "Oh wow, this yeah. is this is close to home. This mm-hmm. is close to home." Mm-hmm. Just makes me want to one day go do a tour, like try different things in all over Africa. Like, oh, we go over here, um, try this food in this country. Hop over the border. Oh, I do remember this. Like when I was mm-hmm. younger, I went to Benin Republic, and I yeah. ate the best rice. I mean, okay, I'm not saying that, like one of the best rice dishes I've ever tasted. Like, I, I was wonder so we're about to say best jollof <laughs> rice you've ever eaten. No, 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 no. Let's not, let's not do that. <laughs> but well, it was very specific. It was under this water tank. It was like mm-hmm. on the like no national water reservoirs. My dad yeah. came there for a conference with my mom, and we we went to find some places to eat. And yeah. the lady there called it du riz du perfume, so perfumed rice. Okay. And that okay. was like, and that was like a really legit experience going there. Like mm-hmm. I still remember, like mm-hmm. more than that, that, fifteen I, I, years I, I'm ago. I'm interested in like just trying to just trying different. Like I'm not as daring, but sometimes I just want to try stuff out to see what it looks like. So. Yes, I'll be interested to taste that and see. Yes, yes. So let's when, move on. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. Go, go for I, it. I remember when when Evans went to this um, Thai place, uh, sorry, um, mm-hmm. Korean place, mm-hmm. and they served us like like a, I don't know what it's called at this at this uh, point, but it was like a, basically like a meat platter, and they gave us a small bowl of rice, and I was sitting oh. next to this Nigerian guy, and I looked at him. And he looked at me and I was like, hey, these people have to tell them they have to bring more rice. So we're Africans. <laughs> They've been the giving us rice. <laughs> They've been giving us rice since we were children. <laughs> this small bowl of rice is not going to do anything. It's not going to do it at all. And that is the last thing about food that like has told me. Uh, like Back home, the proportion of amount of rice to amount of like meat yeah, it's totally oh, it's different, different than it's over skewed. here. Yeah, it's reversed. <laughs> oh my days! Like yeah, yeah, they give you plenty of meat and small rice. Back when they they load you with the rice and they give you small, very tiny meat. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, mm. I think I like the plenty meat version better. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. But sometimes it makes you miss your roots. You're like, yeah, where's all the rice? You start eating too uh-huh. much meat. You're like, I need some you more rice. Too much. Yeah, I need some more to just balance this thing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that reminds me of a time I tried some Indian food with my parents when they came for graduation. That was a really lit experience. Like, we had this mm-hmm. goat um, sauce and on some kind of rice. Oh, they nailed it. They nailed it. <laughs> yeah. They know their yeah. stuff with spices there, too. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, let's move on to the educational sector. So, mm-hmm. you're doing your... You're in your PhD program now. So, what are you... What's your specialty right now? What are you studying? What are you working so, on? So right now, uh, my area of focus is in thermal fluids. Um, but I'm more focused into the area of like compressible flow and hypersonics. So basically, okay. we're looking at like um, fluid flows that actually either flow like really, really fast, like more than five times the speed of sound, or okay. fluids that um, change densities based off of uh, like flow conditions um mm-hmm. just because like a lot of 
stuff when you're solving in undergrad is more like incompressible flow where you can assume density is constant but once your density starts to change and you go into compressible flow and once you go into like high speed compressible flow um, things get really um, tricky and interesting to calculate and we currently mm. do not have thorough knowledge of all that happens in this phenomena so there's a lot of research mm. that is needed in this areas to properly quantify flows especially in like hypersonics Mm-hmm. So we had talked about um very interesting like your your story about the PhD how it came about so I want you to share mm-hmm. a bit of that so how how what brought about the PhD how did you why did you choose to do a PhD so um after my undergrad like my final year of undergrad I was trying to decide between um uh work or a PhD program um mm-hmm. so I, I visited Purdue. And I knew at some point I wanted to go back to school just for various like personal reasons. Like it seemed mm-hmm. pretty cool, like the kind of stuff mm-hmm. they're doing. But then I decided to go to work because Charlie Man needed money. <laughs> I needed some money, so <laughs> yeah. I went back to work. And like about two years into my work, I was like, okay, it's time for me to like just go back to school. It's time to do it now. If I don't do it now, I won't go back. And I, I wanted to like just like make a difference, like. I wanted to be a little bit more challenged in what I was doing mm-hmm. and just like all of that. So I started applying for schools, um, initially looking into the areas of energy. And I know I got into school, all the schools I applied for by the University of Texas. That was the only school I didn't get to into UT, original UT mm-hmm. in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just working out with professors trying to get stuff to line up so that I could get funding to come out. But then everything seemed to fall apart. It was like, Oh yeah, you just missed me by a week. I gave the funding to someone else. Or oh, hey, yeah, uh, I thought you're pretty awesome, but uh, I ended up giving the funding to someone else. I was like, uh, one day I was like, hey, God, if you really want me to go to grad school, open the door because me, I am done looking. I am done. Hmm. I'm done searching for grad school. I'm done chasing this battle. Um, hmm. So that week, I was just there, and my research advisor from undergrad emailed me and said, like, hey. I know you wanted to go to grad school and I know you're in the process of talking to some schools, but hey, I know this professor that went to like same school and he's starting his research lab in University of Texas, San Antonio. Uh-huh. He's doing high speed aerodynamics or hypersonics and so he's looking for people. Are you interested? I was like, Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, you <laughs> take every opportunity that comes your way. So yeah. I got to talking with him and it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. He was like, oh, he likes my resume. He likes the fact that um, I knew that my research advisor and the people that are vouching for me, he, he really knows them and he he, he, has, he puts a lot of weight behind their words. So yeah. if if I want the position, he's going to fund me and fully bring me to ETSA to do work. I was like, oh my God. Okay. Wow. Yes, please. <laughs> so I thank God for that. Big blessing. Yeah. I hopped on to that and I've been here. Since, so that that was that was that was God. This is all God who opened the way for me to come here, and it's just been a wonderful experience. Wow, that's that's really great. A big blessing right there. Mm-hmm. So walk me through a day in in the life of a PhD. What do you do? So um, I walk you through my most recent days because okay. life has changed because of COVID. Yeah, <laughs> drastically. Yep, yep, yep. So my day starts usually around like. Um, I try to wake up early, like five, six, do my quiet time, go for a run, you know, get the get the blood pumping. Then I get like um 
take a shower, do my um, breakfast, and then I head to school, usually like 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, because of COVID, the lab, well, they allowed to stay in the lab for four hours a day. So I go in oh, wow. four hours, do the experiments I need to do. Then after that, I come home, have lunch, and then just answer emails and do some more pre-planning for research I have to do. And then just do a lot more research work until about 6.37, where I call it a day, eat dinner, talk to the girlfriend, and then go to bed. Like, it is <laughs> basically my whole day. 90% of it is spent doing school stuff and just answering emails and talking to people about projects and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, so at any point before going back before COVID, do you ha- did you have to teach or do you still have to teach if COVID resolves in time? How is that? So, work? yeah, so I had to teach for one semester, but then thankfully mm. I'm in a greatly funded lab that I don't have to teach anymore. But yes, I mm-hmm. had the opportunity to teach um, one semester, like two summer semesters. So, okay. Yeah. How did that I work mean, out? It's it's pretty awesome to teach, um, and especially the class I taught was like measurements and instrumentation. So I taught a lot of people mm-hmm. how to take like measurements with like all these various devices. Then the final project was based on Arduino's, which I really like working with Arduino's because mm-hmm. you can do all sorts of cool stuff with Arduino's. Um, so that was pretty fun. A lot of people did some cool stuff. Some guys built like a, um, an alarm system for a house with an Arduino. Some people build a trash can that senses your motion and opens it for you to dump the trash and then closes back oh, up. Wow. So it was a pretty fun class. The only thing is that it's hard to spend half of your day doing teaching and reading papers and preparing for class and the other half yeah. doing research to move your research work. Because when you're in a PhD, I mean, it's all about research. Yeah, if your research yeah, isn't true. going ahead, you are not getting closer to graduation. So every day, every 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 effort has to go towards your 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 research. So, I mean, it's pretty cool to teach. Um, that class was interesting. I like the professor I worked for under. Um, but I don't know that teaching is for me. I like the research much more. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really nice. That's really nice. But I'm glad so, I'm fortunate that I didn't teach whenever I was taking classes. It was like a summer semester where I wasn't really taking classes, so it, was, oh, it made it a little bit focus. easier. Because mm-hmm. teaching yeah. and then taking classes and then doing research is a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's doable, but it's a lot. Yes. So I remember during the time right after my, my dad passed, um, we talked a bit and you really encouraged me and you shared a bit of that in your statement today when you mm-hmm. said that your dad passed when you were about 10 years old. So mm-hmm. I know that there are people hurting from different things. And I just wanted to give, encourage him a bit with your story. Just, just like, just a bit of that. Just like what if someone's going through something that is very deep in their lives. So can you just a bit of your story to help? Okay. So, um, as to you said, and as I said earlier on, so I was 10 years old. Um, and I lost my dad, unfortunately, to like lung cancer. At first, it was mm-hmm. thought to be tuberculosis, but I mean, Africa is very challenging. They don't do a lot yeah. of deep diagnosis, mm-hmm. so it yeah. turned out to be lung cancer. They tried chemo and it didn't work out. Um, it was a very sobering time in life because, like, when you're that young in life, you look up to your dad, and it's like, I remember in like grade school or like primary school, everyone is like, "Hey, my dad will do this to you if you don't stop messing <laughs> with me." And, 
all yeah. of a sudden that that is taking away from me. So it was like very, it's a very sombering like time in life. I mean, it, it it was it was a time where like you just had to sit down and just be like, okay, so I mean, for you to get, I I didn't know I was going to get through this. I I, I have family members that told me that I used to cry in my sleep just because of that um, experience, like during that oh. time frame, and it was rough. But then. Thankfully, by God's grace, like my mom was really strong into the faith, and she she encouraged us. We, we started spending more time in in church. Um, in Africa, it's very interesting whenever um, the wife is left alone with the kids and dad dies, yeah. because there's some cultures that um, do not allow the wife to um, just they don't leave the wife alone. They're like, hey, you killed your husband, you're a witch, so I'm gonna take all the stuff you have and Fortunately for me, by God's grace, like we had a family that my mom's side of the family stuck with us and helped us through that side so that my dad's side of the family didn't do anything crazy. So um, we thank God for that. But then just getting closer to God each and every day and just like focusing on God and spending more time in church and spending more time in Bible study and just trying to grow on that um, help with the healing. I mean, it, it's, it's a definitely a really hard face in life like it's not something that goes away in a day in a month in a year but eventually with time like like time helps to heal and instead of you looking back in pain you look back in like oneness and just be thankful to go for what he's done through you because like that experience helped me grow and helped me become mature and made me basically who i am today because without that i don't know where i'll be like god used that experience in my life to me around so it's definitely a painful time in life i say you go ahead and cry it out because like there's no way there's no there's no need to over tough it up and be like okay i am i am i'm too tough like it doesn't yeah. it, it, it it does affect it does thing so you need time to heal but then do not be fear stricken or stuff like that because god god is for you like god in his word yeah. says that he's going to take care of the widowers of the fatherless he's the father of the fatherless so yeah. That's the, 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 what you have to lean on and just lean on him because God is God is in control and he's faithful to his church. So, yeah. I, I just tell you mm-hmm. to hold on, cry it out, hold on, and just to call forward to God. Keep moving one step at a time. Every day will hurt, but every day it gets a, less, a little less painful. And with time to heal, God will strengthen you to go all the way. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for your insight. I'm very, very grateful to have you have you here. So before we go, what any last words you would like to share with the audience about life or anything you want to share? Uh, I just say uh, that life right now is very tricky. There's a lot going on in the world. So um, just continue having faith in God. Continue being good people. I mean, it's not always that we have to open our mouth and express <laughs> our frustration, <laughs> but let's 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 have empathy. Let's let's be tolerable, to, tolerable of each other, and by God's grace, we make it through this. Amen. So, if people would like to reach you, if the audience members want to reach you at any way, how would they go about reaching you? Uh, I don't know how. How, how is it? Is like an email sufficient for that? 
Yeah, an email is sufficient. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I, I can guess. put that link, your yeah. email you send me in the descriptions below. Yeah, so yes, if anyone so... wants to reach me, they can email me. Yes, yes. Okay, thank you very much, Eugene, for being wow. with us today. Thank you. thank you for the opportunity. It's been pretty awesome. Yes. <laughs> okay, so goodbye for now, and hold on for greater stuff in the future. Okay, folks, that is all for another episode of the Average African Kid podcast. Please do one thing for us, one very important thing. Please share this episode with one person. Yeah, share it with one person. Okay, so have a wonderful day. Check out the other links in our description below. Affiliate podcast, support on Patreon, whatever you have to do. But thank you again and have a wonderful day. <laughs> <laughs>